Chapter 23 of The Mountain Girl. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mountain Girl by Payne Erskine. Chapter 23 in which Dr. Hoyle speaks his mind. Dr. Hoyle sat in his office staring straight before him, not as if he were looking at David Thring, who sat in range of his vision, but as if seeing beyond him into some other time and place. David had been speaking, but now they both were silent, and the young man wondered if his old friend had really been paying attention to his words or not. "'Well, doctor,' said he at last. "'Well, David?' "'You don't seem satisfied. Is it with my condition?' "'Your condition?' "'No, no, no, it's not your condition.' Yes, yes, fine, fine. I never saw such a marvelous change in my life, never. David smiled over the old doctor's stammer of enthusiasm. It was as if his thoughts, fertile and vehement, and the feelings of his great warm heart welled up within him, and trying to burst forth all at once, tumbled over themselves, unable to secure words rapidly enough in which to give them utterance. Then why so silent and dubious? Why... Why, young man, I wasn't thinking anything about you just then. And again David laughed, while his wiry old friend jumped up and walked rapidly and restlessly about the small apartment and laughed in sympathy. It's not, not... I know, David grew instantly sober again. Of course, the little chap's case is serious. Very. Or I would not have brought him to you. Oh, no, no, I'm not thinking of Adam. Bless you, no. The doctor always called his little namesake Adam. I'm thinking of her, the little girl you left behind you. Yes, yes, of her. She's not so little now, doctor. She's tall, tall enough to be beautiful. I remember her. Slight, slight little creature. All eyes and hair, all soul and mind. Now what are you going to do with her, eh? What is she going to do with me, rather? I'll go back to her as soon as I dare leave the boy. But, man alive, what? What are... You can't live down there all your days. It's to be life and work for you, sir. And what are you going to do with her, I say? I'll bring her here with me. She'll come. Of course you'll bring her here with you. And you... You'll have plenty of friends. Maybe they'll appreciate her, and maybe they won't. Maybe they won't, I say. Understand? And she'll come. Oh, yes, she'll come. She'll do whatever you say, and presently she'll break her heart and die for you. She'll never say a word, but that's what she'll do. Why, doctor, cried David appalled, I love her as my own life, my very soul. Of, of course. That goes without saying. We all do, we men, but we... Damn it all, do you suppose I've lived all these years and not seen? Why, we think of ourselves first every time. D don't we, though? Rather? But selfish as we are, we can love. A man can, if he sets himself to it honestly. Love a woman and make her happy, even without the appreciation of others, in spite of environment, everything. It's the destiny of women to love us, thank God. She would have been doomed surely to die if she had married the one who wanted her first. 
or to live a life for her worse than death. Oh, Lord bless you, boy, yes. It's a woman's destiny. I'm an old fool. There, there's my own little girl. She's m married and gone, gone to live in England. They will do it, the women will. Come, we'll go see Adam. The doctor sprang up, brushed his hand across his eyes, and caught up a battered silk hat. He turned it about and looked at it ruefully, with a quizzical smile playing about the corners of his eyes. Remember that hat? he asked. Well do I remember it. You've driven many a mile and many a rainstorm by my side under that hat. When you're done with it, leave it to me on your will. I have a fancy for it. Will you? Here, take it. Take it. I'm done with it. Mary scolds me every day about it. No p peace in life because of it. Here's a new one I bought the other day. Good one. Good enough. He lifted a box which had fallen from his cluttered office table and took from it a new hat which had evidently not been unpacked before. He tried it on his head, turned it about and about, took it off and gazed at it within and without, then hastily tossed it aside and, snatching his old one from David, put it on his head and they started off. Hoyle had been placed in a small ward where were only two other little beds, both occupied, with one nurse to attend on the three patients. One of them had broken his leg and had to lie in a cast, and the other was convalescing from a fever, but both were well enough to be companionable with the lonely little southerner. Hoyle's face beamed upon David as he bent over him. "'I can make pictures whilst I'm a-layin' here!' he cried ecstatically. "'That thar lady, she allows me to make em. She allows mine her good uns. David glanced at the young woman indicated. She was pleasant-faced and rosy, and looked practical and good. "'He's such an odd little chap,' she said. "'What be that odd? Does hit mean this er lump on my back?' He pulled David down and whispered the question in his ear. "'No, no, she only means that you're a dear, queer little chap. What be I queer for? What are all these drawings? Tell us what they mean.' "'This un hits the ocean, and that thar hits a steamship sailing on the ocean like you done told me about, and thisn hits our house, and here's where old Pete bides at, and thisn's old Pete kicking out like he hated something, like he does when we give Frail's colt his corn first. The other small boys from their beds laughed out merrily, and strained their necks to see. These are theirn. I made thisn for him, and thisn for him. He tossed the pictures feebly towards them, and they fluttered to the floor. David gathered them up and gave them to their respective owners. The old doctor stood beside the cot and looked down on the little artist. His lips twitched and his eyes twinkled. Which one is yours? he asked. I keep this in with a C. And here, I made this in for you. He paused and selected carefully among the pile of papers under his hand. You reckon you can tell what tis? The doctor took the paper and regarded it gravely a moment, then lifted his eyebrows and made grimaces of wonderment until the three patients in the three little beds were in gales of laughter. At last, he said, It's a pile of sausages. It ain't no sausages. It's just a straight, clar picture of a house, and hits your house, too, where Brother David lives at. 
see? There's the winder, and the other winder hits on the t'other side where you can't see it. The doctor turned the paper over and regarded it a moment. Show me the window. I, I see no window on the other side. Again, the three little invalids laughed uproariously at their visitor. David smilingly looked on. How often had he seen the delightful old man amuse himself thus with the children? He would contort his mobile face into all the varying expressions of wonder and dismay, of terror or stupefaction, and his entrance to the children's ward was always greeted with outcries of delight when the little ones were well enough to allow of such freedom. "'Haven't you one to send to your sister?' asked David, stooping low to the child and speaking quietly. The boy's face lighted with a radiant smile that caused the old man to stand regarding him more intently. "'Well, send her this end of the sea. You reckon it looks like the ocean, whar the ships go a-sailin' to the other side of the world?' He held it in his slender fingers and eyed it critically. "'How did you come to try to make a picture of the sea when you never saw it?' "'Dunno. I feel like I done see the ocean when I'm sittin' there on the rock.' And them white big clouds go a-sailin' far, far, like they're goin' to another world, and hain't quite touchin' this in. I wondered why you had your ship so high above the sea. I don't guess it's a very good un, said the child, ruefully, clinging to the scrap of paper with a reluctant grasp. You reckon she'd care for this un? I reckon she'd care for anything you made. Give it to me, and I'll send it to her. She told me the sea hit war blue, and I can't make it right blue and soft like she said. That thar blue pencil hits too slick. I can't make it stay on the paper. What are these mounds here on either side of the sea? Them's mountains. But why did you put mountains in the sea? The boy looked with wide eyes dreamily past the two men, so attentively regarding him. Ah. Uh, I reckon I just put em thar for to look like the sea here on the world. I don't guess they'd be no ocean nor no world that there were mountains for to hold everything where it belongs at. I shall bring you a box of paints tomorrow if the nurse will allow you to have them. I'll provide an oilcloth to spread around so he won't throw paint over your nice clean bed, he said to the pleasant-faced young woman. That's all right, doctor she said. Then you can make the blue stay on, and you can make the ocean with real water and real blue for the sky and the sea. The child's eyes glowed. He pulled David down and held him with his arm about his neck and whispered in his ear, and what he said was, When they're a-pullin' on me to get my head straight and my back right, I just think about the far, far away sea with the ships a-sailin' and how it look, and it don't hurt so much. I can bar it a heap better. When you comin' back, Brother David? Does it hurt you very much, Hoyle? I reckon it have to hurt, said the child, with fatalistic resignation. I don't guess he'd hurt me thought he had to. He released David slowly, then pulled him down again. Don't tell him I load it hurt me. I reckon he'd rather hurt hisself if he could do me right that away. You guess I, I'm going to get shed o' the misery some day? 
That's what we're trying for, my brave little brother. And the two physicians bade the small patients goodbye and walked out upon the street. End of chapter 23